It's episode 60 of Milwaukee's Tailgate Baseball Podcast, your weekly Milwaukee Brewers podcast. I'm Steve Garshinsky, and joining me today are Ryan Topp, J.P. Breen, and Andy Schaff. We're talking playoffs, and Andy has our end-of-season prop bet update, which we're recording on Saturday. So it's not final yet. It is not final, but uh, Ryan, you're going to be at the, the game tomorrow. And are you going to be at the game with me tomorrow? Possibly. <laughs> But my wife double scheduled, so it was sort of the last thing that there was an extra ticket available. So yeah, so well because of that though, we're recording on Saturday and we actually have two Brewers games. So we have a, a Cubs final we've seen, but yes. we don't know what the Brewers yet have have done on Saturday night or what's happened on Sunday. So uh, we'll kind of go over a range of possibilities later on when we're talking. Which is going to be super relevant on Monday. Well, there's going to be so many scenarios to talk about. Right. Because if the Cubs would have won this game on Saturday, then it would have been relatively set. It would have been it yeah. would have been difficult. Yeah. But this this kind of this left the uh the door open a little bit, at least crack. So uh we'll get into all of that. And like I said, we're doing prop bets, so that'll be fun. Uh you can help fans find the podcast by rating and reviewing Milwaukee's Tailgate on Apple Podcasts. We want listener questions, so follow Milwaukee's Tailgate on Twitter at MKE Tailgate. Email questions to milwaukees.tailgate at gmail.com or follow our Facebook page. You can also follow the three of us and Andy on Twitter, and you'll find that in our Twitter Twitter bio. And Andy, what's your Twitter handle? Uh, AK Chef, S C H A A F. So uh, check that one out. And then finally, if you'd like to support the podcast, you can visit patreon.com slash MKE tailgate. Our ball and glove level patrons receive the monthly minor league extra podcast. Milwaukee's tailgate is sponsored by carbon Fort brewing from dragon flute to block party to fantasy factory IPA K four specializes in English style malt bombs and perfectly balanced hop grenades out now is October ale, October ale in October. And it's an October fest. And it's, it's o- a Marzen. Yeah. It's October now. It is. So uh, that is out. Uh, Night Call, Smoked Porter, and then the Downton Apple Apple Ale. So that would be a fun one. Go uh, try to find that one. You've been in Madison recently, right, Ryan? Yep. Did you try it? Uh, I did not. No? We did not go over there. No. Okay. Andy, you're going to have to make the trip over there. You're in Madison. I am. I'll make a trip and report back. Yeah, let us know how that one is. So uh, look for that in bottles. Um and that's out today, Monday, October 1st. Uh, also, Fantasy Factory IPA is now in cans, just in time to grab six-pack and tailgate and watch the Brewers in the playoffs. So we got a couple of games here at Miller Park that, uh, well, one for sure when you're listening to this, and then hopefully more. Yeah, it could be multiple guaranteed games. Who knows? So uh, go grab that. And then don't forget, we have a deal exclusively through Milwaukee's Tailgate. Uh, use the promo code MKE Tailgate in the Carbon 4 web store and receive 20% off your order. Visit the brewery on Kinsman Boulevard or find their beer at your local retailer. As always, check out carbon4.com for more information. Carbon 4, beer brilliance. Milwaukee Tailgate is also sponsored in part by Sound Devices, a premier manufacturer of audio production gear, and they're located right here in Wisconsin. Sound Devices gear is used worldwide and is found on the set of Oscar-winning films and popular TV shows. And if you're looking to create a professional-sounding podcast, check out the MixPre 3 and MixPre 6. For more information, visit sounddevices.com. So it was an exciting week. The Brewers uh, clinched a playoff spot. It's been a little while. It has been way too long. Has it? I mean, they should I mean, have it, made the playoffs sometime after 2011 before they completely, with the emergence of Lucroy and Gomez 
and Braun still being around and still being pretty good in that era. Well, there was a suspension and some injury issues for Braun in there. but When they had pitching, too. I mean, Gallardo, before he completely went off the rails, and Loesch was good for a few years, and Garza was decent early in that contract. And we had but the second wild card. You would just assume at one point in there they would sneak in there. Right. But, yeah. I think part happen. of the problem was the fact that even the pitching that you're saying that they had – all of it was, aside from maybe Gallardo, I mean, Granky was pretty good for a year right after, but even then, everything was kind of mediocre. Even the best pitchers were just, they were fine, and they didn't have a stellar bullpen to be able to kind of back that up. Right? No, no. I mean, the well, 2012 the- team was, that team was, everything else about it was great. They had a good lineup. They had a good rotation. Everything should have been great, and the bullpen completely torpedoed that whole season. Yeah. Because Axford was terrible, K Rod was terrible. It just they could not. They ended up going to some guy who yeah you know, was Henderson, who hadn't even been on the roster to start the year, was closing games by mid season. It was just terrible. Right, but I mean we've a, seen a dumpster we've, fire. We've seen pretty much every single year now. Any team that sees themselves as any kind of contender goes and immediately gets bullpen pieces, elite bullpen pieces to be able to go because that's the, that is the the part that can really torpedo an entire season is if your bullpen is not good or is even just kind of average, um, you're going to have a heart. You're going to have to put so much pressure on either your lineup or your starting rotation in order to do anything special. Right? Well, that's I mean, the Nats thing, right? The Nats have all the other pieces in place and the bullpen has really been a problem year after year for them. Sure, and we we just saw with the Brewers this season. I, I mean, I think we all looked at them as a team that could win 80 games or a little over 80 games, not knowing that their bullpen was going to be as good as it is. And Hoping, th- but not knowing. Well, sure, there was a lot of hope, but I, you know, I think the idea was they got some good pieces. We don't know what the depth is, and you know, it turned out that they had a really good bullpen with stretches of brilliance. I guess you could right. say. Yeah, I don't think anybody was. Anybody was projecting that, you know, the the ideal like good Brewers bullpen was going to have Jeremy Jeffers being an all star level like reliever. Right. I mean, no matter what you say about Jeffers, nobody was seeing this coming and his stuff has really taken kind of a a step up as well, which I don't think anybody foresaw. And and Matt Albers would have been a big piece of any bullpen that we would have been talking about as as a quality piece. Right. I mean, we wouldn't have been talking about Corbin Burns being the guy that is really kind of. I mean, maybe Soria, but he obviously came in via trade. That Burns is really the third or fourth key piece right now in that bullpen. Mm-hmm. And I mean, before the season, we thought it could be maybe Tyler Williams or Taylor Williams. Sorry, we kind of thought he could potentially be a guy that stepped up into that. And he's been good in stretches, but has also really had issues with you know giving up big hits. So he has not yet turned into that kind of reliever but we thought it was possible I I certainly thought he was a guy that could you know end up extending that bullpen and making it good yeah so I mean you know the last time they had kind of a legitimate shot at the playoffs was 2014 they faded late what was that 154 days in first place or some nonsense (laughs) like that and then it was there's only one day that it matters right and and they weren't sitting there on that day so um, I mean really you had 15 16 17 they started to kind of show it again so and here we are in 2018 and back in the playoffs. So, it, I, again, the the rebuild was relatively quick. Remarkably quick. Beyond what anybody reasonably could have hoped or expected. Well, I mean, they did 
they started selling off pieces before they bottomed out. They did, and they made sure they did have a couple major pieces in Carlos Gomez and Jonathan Lucroy that they could get substantial big-time returns from. And that helps to kickstart a rebuild anytime you're going to do that. But, I mean, the Reds haven't done that because the only piece that they have that could potentially do that is Joey Votto, and he's on such a big contract, you can't really do that anyway. And they wouldn't do it even if they could. So, No, they, they could move Eugenio Suarez. They could move. Well, Suarez uh, has a, what, a six, seven-year, $70 million deal, something like that? But he didn't have that. They just signed him to it. Oh, when did that get signed? I, the last offseason, maybe? I don't remember, but it wasn't, it wasn't last year. I mean, Scooter Jeanette's somebody they could also move. Mm-hmm. I don't know how much they'd really be able to get for him, but that's an, absolutely something they could do. I was wondering about that. Like, The smart move would be for the Reds to trade Scooter Jeanette this offseason because he's a year from free agency, and there's no way they do it. He's Not got, a chance at well, how they do it. What's odd is he has two seasons established with them now where he's been above average and an all-star at second base. I mean, it seems like, he, you know, he does have the ability to, to get traded for at least a piece. You would think, that but, would they, be but pretty there's significant. no way they would do it. Just no way they would do it. I don't know if it's just the optics. So, I, I mean, how much credit do you give to, like, Mark Ananasio to allow them to start trading off pieces and rebuilding when they did? I mean, there are owners who wouldn't have allowed it. There are owners who would have, who would have uh, basically said, we have to keep Lucroy, right? Like, there's an owner... Castellini in Cincinnati, if he had a Jonathan Lucroy, he would have locked him up. Like, there's no doubt about that. And Atanasio didn't do that. So he deserves credit, at least as far as that goes. Yeah, I mean, they easily could have made the case like, okay, the next contender for some reason is going to have Lucroy and Gomez and, you know, try to go from there. And then you don't get the pieces that actually make you a competitive team. And I mean, Lucroy's been awful since that trade. Well, you also have a situation like, Selling off your pieces early is how you don't become the Orioles, right? right. Or and, or signing Chris Davis to a two hundred plus million dollar contract. Well, yeah, right. But that was that was always an effort to stay relevant in the AL East, and it was always an effort to try to prolong any kind. It was basically trying to prolong what they had with uh, Adam Jones. Well, it was a Peter Angelo's vanity signing, right? That's what the Chris Davis thing was. I mean, I don't know if it. I don't know if you would say it's a vanity signing, but it's it's a sign of wanting to. It, it's a little bit like what the Phillies continued to do, and almost what the Giants are continuing to do as well, right? Like it's it's a desire to continuously try to eke out one or two more seasons before you know the end is coming. Except they didn't win the World Series before doing that. Like, in no. those cases, the, the Phillies and Giants, you could sort of at least understand it. Like, you won a World Series, you were in another. You know, the Phillies were in a couple. Giants won three. You kind of understand, like, well, we don't want to move Buster Posey or, or Madison Bumgarner because they're Giants for life or whatever. You kind of get that, at least on a level. But, like, what is this fealty to Chris Davis? Uh, that didn't make any sense. Do you guys remember when they were doing the rebuild and Mark Antanasio's kid had a friend that was doing like a projection system or something like that that they were going to use? I feel like we haven't heard about that since Stearns came back. Well, so he was he was going to build their what the, their diamond vision or whatever you know that thing was, and I guess he was a guy who had a degree in that. I was gonna, like, apparently yeah. he was actually qualified. Was, no, he was an Ivy Leaguer. Like he totally fit the mold of I think what a lot of eventual front office lackeys. 
But well, yeah, nobody talked about it. After like, that was kind of a low point, and they just kind of pushed that aside and moved on. So, well, I give Mark credit for that, at least. You know, and I think part of that is when you're bringing in Stearns, at least you could tell that they were looking for that kind of edge. Mm-hmm. And sure. Stearns was the guy that you go all in, and then they brought in, um, what's his name from Tampa Bay? Matt Arnold. Matt Arnold. So well, they brought in they brought in Arnold, and then they got in uh, they got in Turk, who used to be a BP, to come in and kind of head up the analytics team as well, right? Like it was they they went out and got people to to do it. Not to say that the other person wasn't qualified, absolutely, but they came in and brought people who uh, did it right and had the programming skills plus the baseball knowledge to be able to kind of meld that together, right? So yeah, I mean, it, it is good to see that they were forward thinking enough to. You know, I think show that they could rebuild as quickly as they did with a team that people weren't quite sure coming into the season with how good they were going to be. Right. Well, I, I think that one of the things for the rebuild and how quickly it happened is is often overlooked how every single deal that they did, you know, whether it was Thornburg or whether it was, you know, even in the size size need deal, they were actually going out to get big leaguers. They weren't going out to get only prospects, right? And that was one of the things that we talk about for rebuild is why, you know, uh, so many people talk about whether it's, you know, the Marlins or whomever, you know, the the Padres. Why are you going to get big leaguers right now? And, you know, saying just go and get prospects, get prospects, get prospects. And the Brewers were targeting controllable kind of fringe big leaguers and, you know, in VR and Shaw and people like that that actually turned out to have lasting impacts on the team, whether it, you know, VR was part of a big trade to go get somebody like Jonathan scope, who still is controllable. And, and Shaw is a part of the, uh, the Thornburg deal that obviously the Brewers kind of cleaned up on. But that Thornburg deal was insane. Really? When you look at it, I mean, the, the Red Sox really, really wanted a stud reliever and Thornburg was that. at And you know, the thing is we've seen what a stud reliever can do. Right. Yeah, absolutely. Um, but yeah, you know, th- there's that. But then you can also say when they flipped, um, who was the first baseman they sent to Seattle? Adam Feels Lind. So- Adam Lind netted Fr- Freddie Peralta because they got back a bunch of you know eighteen, nineteen year olds. Mm-hmm. So it it is a matter of uh, doing a mix. You know, you well, have you have to get some of those lottery tickets and see if you can bring them up, and then. Also, once, you know, your kind of eye is on, okay, we're getting back to being competitive. Yeah, filling out your roster with guys who are actual major leaders. You do a volume business, too. It's about, you know, they moved Chris Davis and got Jacob Nottingham. Well, has that worked out great? Not really. But you're making a bunch of moves like that. And you're going to have to make a bunch of moves if you want some of them to turn out as well as, say, the Tyler Thornburg deal or, you know, the, the Gerardo Parra for Zach Davies deal. You know, you're going to have to make a bunch of moves for some of them to work out like that. So you, you got to be in a, the business of doing a lot of volume. But even with the, the Adam Lynn deal, right? Like that wouldn't have brought back a big leaguer in, in really any capacity. We were talking about whether or not you could get like a middle reliever or something for Adam Lind. And basically what Stearns did in the way that it was kind of described to me is he went into DePoto, who basically had just taken over in Seattle, didn't know the system very well, and went over to Seattle and said, "We're gonna, we'd like these three guys you've never heard of down in your your Dominican complex." And DePoto, if he's trying to build a postseason contender, he's trying to to build somebody that you know can can build a squad that can get to 
uh, competitiveness as quickly as possible. Those are the t exact type of guys that he's just not going to care about. And so what they were doing in that regard was, I don't even think they expected to get all three of them. Um, and the way that it was described to me is that Freddie Peralta was not even the gem that they thought that they were getting. Like he was a, he was another interesting arm. he kind of took a step forward, but Carlos Herrera was seen as the guy that they actually really wanted. I was going to say, I thought Herrera was the bigger piece when it happened. He was yeah. the one people were more excited about. Yes, but obviously 18, 19 year old arms, you've got a lot of room for projection in there. And if you can get, and the thing is, and we've talked about this ad nauseum, like Peralta's weird. Right. It's not like his stuff really took a step forward. It's just he's got so much deception and his delivery is so weird. And it does just work. Yeah, it's, it's totally bizarre. Yeah. So, OK, like I said earlier, the Cubs lost Saturday afternoon, uh, brings the Brewers within a half a game. And we're still waiting for the Saturday night game as of this recording. So, I mean, they're actually in a position where um, it's in their hands to go out and um basically see if they can tie the Cubs or overtake them for the division. I mean, how important is winning the division right now? I mean, it's massive because if you can try to avoid that one game play in, of, of course you do that. You'd much rather get, put yourself in a position where one stupid game, you know, one bad inning by a pitcher could sink your entire season in a one game situation like that. So you just want to, avoid that if at all possible and they really are i mean they're i guess you could kind of say their destiny is in their hands with that because now if the cubs no matter what the cubs do if the brewers win their next two games at worst it's a playoff for the the division yeah and i would i mean at this point i would say it's more likely that they get that one game playoff and they'd be playing monday and then the winner plays Tuesday and then Thursday. So, I mean, it could a, be a, a double one game play in situation, mm -hmm. potentially. Yes. So that could be very, very stressful for everyone involved because that's a lot of elimination games in a row. That Monday is going to that Monday game at Wrigley would be absolutely bonkers. Yeah. Um, I guess what do the Brewers do if they have a one game playoff? Because Chassin's lined up for the Tuesday start. I, JP, do you think he gets moved up and pitches that Monday game? I honestly don't know. I mean, Shazin started on Wednesday, so he could start on full rest on Monday. That would be full rest. Sure, but then the question is, you've already tried to move it around to line him up. I mean, I, I think, as you said, right, like you play Monday as if it's your play-in game, right? Because if you win that, you're fine. Everything's good. And knowing that you have a backup coming in on Tuesday, if they if they hypothetically would lose a hypothetical game on Monday, um, you could bullpen that next game. When it really would become interesting, what if you're down a run in the sixth or seventh inning of that play-in game on Monday against the Cubs? What happens? Do you go to Josh Hader and potentially burn him in a situation where you probably wouldn't then turn and go to him again the next day? How much do you try to pull out with a one or two run deficit in a game against the Cubs on Monday? What would you do in that case? It, it, that would be an incredibly tough dilemma for counsel to have to deal with. Yeah, I think that's the big question. Uh, I think for sure they're going to push the scene up and just looking. I know it's single season stats, but he's got a 1.59 ERA against the Cubs. I think they like him there and like him at Wrigley. So I think that's a no brainer. But yeah, the big is. 
what do you do with your bullpen when you're down one in the seventh inning? I don't know. I don't the know second how, guessing. I, I don't even insane. know how to answer that. Yeah. Well, and they they have a, a to be determined starter on Sunday. We're we're looking at that earlier, so it would be likely. Um, I mean, I guess they could push Chase Anderson and hold him for a Tuesday game. Well, I mean, you could also talk about potentially Freddie Peralta. He basically started that Cardinals game. He essentially week, so. did start that Monday Cardinals game. Yeah. Well, so, you know who's actually been one of the best pitchers over the last two, three weeks? Actually, been Brandon Woodruff. Who I think they'd like to use potentially out of the bullpen for two, three, four inning shots if they sure. can. Well, I think he's very much, if it's a bullpen game, it's a Brandon Woodruff game. Right. He's going to do a lot of the heavy lifting. Well, Ben Corbin Burns as well. Yeah, because they're they're going to need to – a bullpen game doesn't mean every guy is coming in to face individual batters. They're, they're going to need somebody to cover three innings at a time, ideally early. And then you can start, you know, late in the game, I think, playing a few more matchups. So that would have to be a, a Woodruff. Woodruff could be very important this postseason. When we talk about who's going to be important postseason, Woodruff and Burns clearly is guys who can cover – uh, multiple relief innings, I think, are going to be very important. Right, and Hater as well, because he can do the same. Well, I mean, Hater's an obvious one, and I think Hater's one that you're going to see, you know, they want to use them later in games when it's tight and, you know, in those high-leverage situations. But with, with Burns and Woodruff, I think, you know, the idea would be you get a short start without giving up, the you know, a ton of runs, you're still in the game. And then you can bring those guys in, and hopefully they can lock down, you know, the, the lineup for the next two to three innings right but isn't the main problem that haters broken (laughs) (laughs) yes every time he has a bad game he's clearly broken even though he had poor games until he played the cubs and then he went out there and struck out everyone he faced for two weeks yeah and i mean you look at his poor game against the cardinals this week and it's very hard to know what of that is him and what of that was just Playing in sloppy conditions and well, okay, yeah, yeah. The the, fir- the the poor outing against the Cardinals, I think part of that was the conditions, the game conditions he was playing in. Yeah, it's because impossible to know how much he doesn't have great command all the time. Anyways, obviously his velocity can fluctuate, and when you have him throwing in wet conditions like that, I think that was all kind of combined. You know, uh, against the Tigers, though, he just came in and got hit. Yeah, I didn't see it, so I don't know. He did. He okay. came in and got I'll hit. take your word for who it. Who was he? Andy, do you remember who he gave the home run up to? It was his first career home it run. It was the guy's think. first yeah. career home run. Like, I, JP, do you remember what his name is? Was it uh, Lugo? Yeah, it was Lugo. Sounds right. I saw that. It was his first career home run. Nobody cares about who the guy was, yet, you know, Hader grooved one in on his, well, I think he tried to get it in on his wrist. He didn't get it in far enough, and, you know, everybody was watching fly out of the park. And he couldn't get out of the inning after that. It wasn't like one bad pitch. Right. Well, I think the biggest thing that we've seen about seen with Hader, and we saw this even when he came in and was decent against the Cardinals, is he still can't throw a slider for strikes. Right? And so if he gets into it, we saw it against Matt Carpenter, where Matt Carpenter knew he was coming with a fastball, and he consistently fought it off until he was able to draw a walk. And if it's a situation in which... And you could conceivably see this really easily against somebody like uh, like Rizzo. If Rizzo knows a fastball is coming, we've seen him jump on it. And you have to be able to do these sorts of things, which is why, you know, H- Hater still 
incredible in so many different ways. He still is going to miss way more bats than you think he could with his kind of stuff. Um, he still, I think, is what, like his K per nine is 14 or 15, and he's basically throwing 80, 85% fastballs. And, but he still is going to get in spots where that is a liability. It's not, his fastball is not like Mariano Rivera's cutter or even Kenley Jensen who has a great cutter still is going to struggle at times when he can't command because he's only throwing one pitch. So Hader is a really interesting guy that we, that we talk about in such glowing terms in terms of his stuff, in terms of his production, in terms of like how historic it is in a lot of different ways and admitting limitations to his stuff and his command and all of these things, I don't think diminishes any of that, but it, it does allow us to say when he does struggle, sometimes you're like, well, it's going to happen. And we, we know how that happens. Well, I feel like haters command is either high in the zone or low in the zone. And generally when you see him really mowing guys down, he, he has that command high in the zone. And currently he hasn't had that. He just hasn't been able to pitch up on guys and get him to chase. Well, when it's really going, you can see him against right-handed batters. He is dotting that fastball right on the outside edge of the, mm -hmm. of the batter's box. So he can really do that. And then that puts the hitters in a really impossible position because they can't really hit the pitch and they can't lay off of it. Well, like I said, against the Tigers, he was trying to come in on guys and he just couldn't hit a spot for it. Hmm. Interesting. So well, who, who do you think has been the best reliever in September? Without looking at it? Corey Canable. No, I was going to say, just like, how does it feel? I, I don't actually know what the numbers are. I didn't look it up because I'm no. not professional. Corey Canable in, the, in September, he had a run of... 16 or something batters where he struck out like 12 of them. There was some insane run like that where he was absolutely filthy dominant. And outside of that, he's been mostly fine too. He's given up some singles, but you know, you're going to do that. That's going to happen. Sure. And Knable's another guy who always feels like he's on the edge because he loses command of that, that curveball. If he doesn't, if he clearly cannot locate it, that fastball is hittable. So he's either going to walk guys or he's going to get hammered. If he's commanding the fastball, the fastball is not really hittable. And uh, he can, I he disagree can do with you there, but okay. If he's commanding the fastball. Yeah, the Bruce yeah, tweeted I, something. I disagree on that part uh, too. Yeah, Bruce tweeted this morning. He has 14 consecutive scoreless appearances since being called up. 14.1 innings pitch, five hits, three walks, 29 Ks. So, yeah, I, I think, think Knable's been, been incredible. And that's actually like, I think it was in in August, we were talking like who is going to be the unsung hero that kind of comes back from the dead. And we were saying Domingo Santana could be that guy, who, but, and he's done very well. Uh, and then we said Corey Knable was the other guy that could kind of come back in September and kind of be the the, the knight shining armor. Did anybody say Braun? <laughs> yeah. I he mean, never get, left. He never left. He never left, but like he, you know, he's had his ups and downs this season where he just, you know, wasn't relevant for a while and then... Mostly, he's had a really good second half. And can we talk about his speech uh, in the celebration? Did you guys see that? I did not. I, yeah, I did catch parts of it. It yeah. was absolutely incredible. He <laughs> just like he Googled speech to give after big event, read the speech. <laughs> and then later they interviewed him. And like right after he gave the speech, counsel's like, all right, we're done with speeches. And we did a whole, uh, Suter did a bunch of dancing and whatever. And then later they like interviewed him again. And he's like, oh, I just hope the guys are being responsible tonight. Like, come on, man. But it come was, on, that is total so, Braun. He's now like, the old man. He was very on brand for Braun. If it was Ryan, just painful. Was yeah, so if Ryan Braun was not a professional baseball player, he clearly would have a PR firm. <laughs> 
<laughs> that he would be running. So yeah. I, yeah, he very much he's he's on brand with that. So, but what you need, you're going to have guys like that. They have to go out and give speeches like that. So no, my favorite thing about the celebration, and he's never been a character. No, no, Ryan Braun is the Tim Kaine of the Milwaukee Brewers. <laughs> <laughs> or he kind of reminds me of Corbin Burns' character from Major League. Like, thinks he's really cool, and like all the guys like him, and he's they just kind of put up with him. <laughs> right? Yeah, you're you're the old guy, so you get the mic right now to give a speech. <laughs> yeah, Bond's a little bit in like Tim Kaine carpool dad. Like, good job. It's good. You did a great job, and I think we should celebrate a little bit, but responsibly. So if we all need to go get ice cream, everybody hop in the car. Let's go. Stay hydrated, guys. Come on. Stay hydrated. Yeah. <laughs> Keep those goggles on. Make sure you got your goggles <laughs> affixed. Nice and right in front of your face. No, what I really he, liked he about... He said he'd pick up the tab on everybody's lift after the party. <laughs> <laughs> what I really liked about the celebration was on MLB Network, during that celebration of the Brewers, they were showing the end of the Cubs game, and the Cubs blew a lead against the Pirates. Mm-hmm. They ended up coming back and winning the game. But they cut directly back from the Cubs... Uh, giving up the lead in the ninth and the game being tied to Bob Euchre getting a beer shower. And it was the greatest thing. I'm like watching that sequence was beautiful. The Euchre celebration was epic that. Yeah. The, it, it doesn't get better than Bob Euchre, 85 plus years old in the locker room with everybody else getting a beer shower and just, you know, doing the Harry Doyle <laughs> fist pumps. He was uh, doing the Harry Doyles. That was great. So, yeah, that was great to see. And again, so, I mean, regardless of what happens, they've definitely uh, had fun this season. So, um, anyways, so uh, the Brewers are likely to face uh, the Dodgers or the Rockies. Um, right now, it looks very much like the Dodgers. For the wild card, yeah. If, and if they're the wild card team. That's not a horrible situation, considering Clayton Kershaw is starting on Saturday for the uh, Dodgers. Yes, it's close enough that both teams have to play straight up they can't prepare just for like a one game plan or but i mean that sets up then if the brewers are facing the dodgers on tuesday kershaw on two days rest he would get into the game probably but you're not seeing more than a couple innings that poor guy everybody gives him a a a bad rap for the postseason yet the dodgers are going to ride him as hard as possible and you go well why isn't he as great as he always is it's like playing playing great teams on short rest is not a recipe to be you know the best pitcher ever yeah i'd really like him at, i don't if it's not kershaw you know having them face a right-handed pitcher having a right-handed pitcher versus a left-handed pitcher so they could get moose and shaw both in the lineup i think that would be very much key even if it's not kershaw yeah and the dodgers do have a lot of lefties yeah. i mean it they really you know rich hill potentially could be they there. played him earlier in the season and they took a series from him so i mean sure they beat kershaw they beat did they beat hill in that series not in that series. We were at the, the Kershaw only, game. The only so. game they won that series was the Kershaw game. In I that. thought they won two. Two or three. No, they lost Friday and Sunday. Okay. So I, I guess, JP, do you have a preference on which team uh, they would play in that? I think as long as it's in Miller Park, I'm not all that concerned on it. As long as they don't have to go to Denver. Well, yeah. and That's off the table, right? Yeah, that was off the table, what, Monday or Tuesday? Yeah, it's been off the table a while now. As long as that's not in the cards, I'm not. I don't really have a preference between the Dodgers and the Rockies. I think they both have. Maybe, maybe you'd rather play the Dodgers just because the Rockies. I think probably have a better bullpen. Well, and it could still be the Cards too. I mean, the the Cardinals winning did keep them alive mathematically. I mean, they can potentially make that. It did, but the Cubs are not going to go into Sunday thinking like you know whatever they want to avoid a one game playoff or. 
well, a one-game playoff before the one-game play-in. Right. And they're going to want to avoid whatever. So, I mean, the Cubs are going to go balls out on, on Sunday, I would imagine. Well, they did today and scored one run. So, well. you know. <laughs> and that was with Cole Hamels, who is now, by the way, Cole Hamels is now burned. So he pitched today, would not be available except for short relief on uh, Monday. So, But you also, I think in order for the Cardinals to be in the play-in game, they would have to win tomorrow. So that would really just be the Brewers, I think, have to lose two in a row, right? In order for that to come to pass? Mm, what the Brewers do has no relation to the Cardinals making the playoffs. Well, the Car- but the Cardinals, even in order to make it, right? Because they're 1.5 games behind the Dodgers, so they need the Dodgers to lose. They would need the Dodgers to lose their last two, and they would need to win their last one. Right. And so in order for that, to, in or- if they win, right, then Cubs lose. I guess there could still be a situation in which the Brewers win one out of two and then go lose the playing game against the Cubs and then would have to play the Cardinals. But there would have to be a lot to happen. The Brewers would basically have to face plant in order for them to play the Cardinals in, in the playing game. I don't know. Can you face plant when you only have like a game or two left? Oh, man. Have you been on Twitter? <laughs> <laughs> well, out, outside of Twitter reactions, can we ever really say it's a face plant? So. Oh, man, have you ever been on Twitter? It's one of my favorite lines ever now. <laughs> uh, Darren Joan has a Patreon question. He asks, how much of the Brewers, the Brewers' success in September can be attributed to the construction of their expanded roster? Now, is it their expanded roster or just the fact that it is an expanded roster that helped? Because I know I think in, in, in August we were all worried about the, uh, the bullpen usage and obviously the extra arms has, have helped there. Well, I think it it does exa- it shows exactly what David Stearns has been trying to do over the course of the entire year. Every time we've had a roster crunch, we basically said the Brewers will do whatever it takes to be able to keep the most people on the forty man roster. And as that has happened over the course of the season, they are uh, benefiting from the fact that they basically have six starting outfielders. They've got uh, the ability to to run. I think basically six starting caliber people in the infield, maybe seven if you, you know, if you put Eric Thames into that. So they they have too many people for a playoff roster, which is why we've got all of these questions that people have had in terms of like who makes the the postseason roster. There's just too many quality players that you could actually see being on the roster. I had a good reminder of something from Tom Hottercourt's article about the Brewers. Basically it was his how the Brewers got to this point, how they did it. And he talked about how David Stern said that his number one dictate when he came in is to get and retain as much good young talent as possible. And I was thinking about the retain part of that because the get part is the part that gets all the attention there, right? Everybody talks about how they got all the guys they got. But the retaining part, yes, they have signed some extensions, notably uh, Chase Anderson. Other than that, though, it's really mostly when he talks about retaining – I think it's about juggling the roster as much as anything, about keeping all these guys around and keeping them available and doing what you have to do to to keep those guys and not release guys unnecessarily. And they've really had to thread a needle because they have such a deep roster and have for a while now. And it's worked. So really, I think that's a big part of what their overall success has been is that they've been willing to you know, do so much minor league shuffling and keep guys in the fray as long as possible before letting someone go when they could have and other teams would have jettisoned them earlier. So the other piece of that, too, is 
if you amass as much depth and if it's controllable depth, you are in a position to make the trades that the Brewers were in, you know, over the summer, right? Because you can actually uh, package players like Brett Phillips in which it's actually a good deal for Kansas City, but it's a, a deal that makes sense for the Brewers as well because basically Phillips doesn't really have a path to playing time. And that goes to what it means to make trades. And this is something, you know, I used to talk about a lot for like uh, when I did some fantasy baseball stuff for, for BP is you have to worry about what is a trade that makes the most sense for you. So many people get worried about like whether the war matches up or whether or not, you know, who won the trade in the abstract, you can make trades that maybe are unbalanced on paper but in terms of the context of your squad, you've got the luxury to be able to put somebody like Jonathan VR up and say, you know what, we're not only going to give you a good prospect like Luis Ortiz, we're going to give you somebody that can actually go start in the middle infield because we we can do that. We've got that flexibility to be able to go and do those things. And so having that depth is one of the things that has made kind of the roster flexibility in terms of trades, in terms of calling people down, in terms of the deep 40-man roster that Stern should be really credited for. Well, and I think part of it is, you know, when they're looking forward to making 40-man decisions later in the season, that can help influence, like, who are the guys that are available to trade and how can we basically turn them into assets. So Right. They had a roster crunch to deal with, and yeah, they dealt with it. That's why, you know, when we look at it and say, how'd they give up, you know, player ABC for, you know, one guy? And it's like, well, they were going to have to make decisions anyways. Somebody was going to have to be jettisoned. Yeah. You didn't want to jettison. So you at least get a player out of it that's useful right now as opposed to, you know, you lose them to the uh, Rule 5 draft. Rule 5? Yes, the Rule 5. Rule 5 draft uh, in the offseason. So um, Kevin Schmidt asks, uh, tell me how Domingo uh, Santana can make the playoff roster for the division series. Hit dingers. <laughs> well, I mean, he's been doing it, so that's, yeah. That is it. I mean, he's been a pretty good uh, pinch hitter in this series, or, well, since he's gotten called back up, because he's only gotten, what, like one start? I don't know. Do you know Andy yeah, offhand? Yeah, he got one. Yeah, one. Start. I know he got one start. There was like one game when I was on his baseball <clears throat> reference page where I think he had more than one at bat. Right. Otherwise, he's he's pretty much gotten in every game, but he gets one at bat, and that's about it. But he's done something with it, which is good to see. For the divisional series, it gets a little bit harder. For the, I I can't see any way he doesn't make if they're in a one game play in situation. And oh, yeah. I want to talk about one thing real quick because I believe. I'm 99% sure that game 163, if you're playing, if the Brewers are playing the Cubs on Monday, you're playing under September rules. So you play with your full 40-man roster. It's considered part of the regular season mm-hmm. when Correct. you're doing tiebreakers. Whereas Monday, it's a wild card game. You set your roster for that game. The Brewers, we've talked about this, but they'll only need to put about 10-ish pitchers on the roster. So, of course, Santana makes that as one of the 15 position players. There's no way you don't. So... At least pinch hitters are a quicker substitution than you bring in a uh, relief pitcher. Say Joe Madden can overmanage the crap out of a game 163. Oh, God. I mean, Craig Council's been... People would accuse him of overmanaging, except that it generally just works. I think with all the stress and sweat, Madden's uh, hair dye is probably going to run through the game 163. It's going to be pretty bad. So hopefully he goes to a good stylist that day. Though they'll probably tell him, let it set for a little while, right? A little cinnamon sable? Yeah, exactly. Um, so, 
Let's see. What else have we got? Oh, uh, Brewers-Cubs matchup seems like a possibility in the division series. What do you see the crowd turnout looking like, and does it matter? And that was from Jeremy. You mean as far as at Miller Park? Obviously, in Wrigley, it's going to be mostly Cubs fans. There will be Brewer fans there, but it will be mostly Cubs fans. At Miller Park, it will be not like a regular season game. It will be There will be considerably more Brewers fans there than your general regular season Brewers-Cubs game. Well, because anybody who has any season ticket package, whether it's 10-game, 20-game, full season, they all get the ability to buy postseason tickets. Right, and the incentive to sell them is significantly less in that case, unless you're really just trying to make money. I mean... I mean, but the thing is, Cubs fans are going to pay an arm and a yeah. leg. Well, you, but you need people who are willing to sell them. And again, we started off, we were talking about, you know, it's been seven years since the Brewers made the playoffs. Do you think there are going to be a lot of Brewers fans that are going to say, I'm going to cash these in? Because they're already expensive. I mean, I mean there, will, there will be plenty. I would say instead of... Yeah, I, w- I wouldn't say zero will cash in. Instead of it being, you know, a 70-30 Cubs fans, Brewers mix, which seems to be kind of normal for a heavily attended Miller Park Brewers-Cubs game... I would say it's going to be more like you know seventy thirty the other way. There will yes, definitely be I a would pile say of Cubs fans in, in there. a playoff game. I'll be surprised if Cubs fans outnumber Brewers fans. I'll be but very surprised, right? Just because second, of the season ticket issue, right? And because second. you have to, people have to sell them those tickets because I I believe most of the tickets are being gobbled up ahead of time by people who have some version of a season ticket package. So Well, they went on sale to the public this week, and it was season ticket holders like on Monday, and then it got all the way to like you had to have a Wisconsin zip code mm-hmm. on Friday or whatever, and I think they sold out at that point. But I'm just looking at stuff up. It's like you're paying almost 100 bucks to sit in the upper deck for game one, so I would assume that it's going to be I, after, real pricey. <laughs> after like the – I know it's a football game, but like – uh, so last year, uh, Notre Dame Georgia game at uh, at the in South Bend, they were really kind of going at at uh, Notre Dame fans because I'd say at least forty percent of the stands were Georgia were Georgia fans. Um, we were asked, I was asked by people that had traveled up from from Athens, Georgia, or, or from Georgia in general to to come up and see the game. On average, tickets were going for over twelve hundred bucks a ticket. And if man, if, if Cubs fans want to come up and see that game, those, t- those ticket prices are going to go up and up and up. And I don't know. It'll be really interesting because I think if they're guaranteed a second game at Miller Park, you could see that first game in which people are like, well, I'll just go tomorrow and I'll cash in now and I'll make my money to, to go the next day. I, st- I still think you're right that it won't be the same mix, but I think that we're underestimating a little bit in terms of, I mean, I, I'll just the, – the wealth discrepancy between Chicago and Milwaukee. I mean, there's no other way to really say that. No, there, it, that's absolutely true. There will be a lot of Cubs fans in there. There were a lot of uh, Cardinals fans in Miller Park during the 2011 NLCS. Well, and I, I could say in the past, you know, when they made the playoffs and we've had the season ticket package and guaranteed tickets and stuff like that um, – there's still a moment where you kind of catch your breath a little bit when you see what the ticket prices are for postseason tickets. Oh, yeah. No, no. I just did it this week, and yeah. it was like, whoa, okay. Yeah, uh, you know, so th- that's not insignificant just for people, even if you have full-season ticket packages where you kind of look at it for a second and go, especially if they make a run, that's a big investment. Like, you're, you're paying a full season's worth of ticket prices 
just to go to a series. And yes. if it's the Cubs, I mean, you're going to sell one game to pay for the rest of your package. So I think yep. you'll have some of that going too. My four games, the strips for the four games were $1,000 more than to renew the entire season for next year. Mm-hmm. So, and that includes four World Series games at, you know, 150 a pop. So, and those are normally $18 tickets? They're normally, yeah, and we're paying less. So, because it, the season pricing. And is it a situation in which, like, you could sell a ticket for 300 bucks to the first game, knowing that you could, if, like, the Brewers won one of the first two games at Wrigley, assuming they don't get home field advantage, right? This is assuming that they'd be kind of like the wild card going in. Um, you would have the situation in which you could say, well, do I sell it for 300 bucks today knowing that I get to see them tomorrow and then I can pay off a couple of tickets for a hypothetical next? I mean, maybe, right? I mean, you could definitely see that. I mean, you could do it. Um, I would be incredibly upset if don't anybody in my ticket group did that. <laughs> yeah, don't, don't, <laughs> don't do, do it. that. <laughs> well, we always, we always... I know a couple of you listen. Don't do that, please. Easy well, and we always said, you know, in that ticket group, if you don't want your tickets... They go to somebody else in the group. Right. There, there was no like you. You bought your tickets and now you can go like sell them to whoever you want. No, it's it all stays in the group. This so. is great radio, by the way. Talking about my rules for my season ticket postseason. I'm pointing also- out that you do not have a group that is putting more Cubs fans in the seats if there's ever a playoff game there. No, no. The only way a Cub fan would get it in our seats potentially would be my brother. I was going to say your brother goes along. So yeah. okay, so yeah, JP. One last uh, comment. Oh, I'm just saying that we would totally blame him for that, though. Which it would be totally legitimate for that. So if you do see Cubs fans, yell at Ryan. Um, okay, we're going to get to uh, the prop bets, which, again, like everything else, did not get settled before like the last two games of the season. So uh, we have a little bit of variability here, but for the most part, it's settled, right? Yeah, yeah we're down to two people. Um, do you want to get into it now? Yeah, All go right. for it. We're, we're doing prop bets. All right, so it's come a long way. The winner... the First person in first place right now has 14 correct prop bets. Okay, so how many total prop bets did we have uh, going into the season? So we had 18 total props. Um, first place right now is Emily, uh, Twitter handle E-M-W-R-O-B-Z. She is in first place with 14 out of 18, which is highly impressive. Not so impressive. Uh, Ryan was 7 out of 18 and steve was six out of 18 all oh, i care you, about is you beating ju- steve you jumped you all jumped i over care me. about is beating steve that's all that matters i just want to say that this was all caused by ryan because i think i was normally just picking to not have the same picks as him yes that's what it is. however you need to justify your Be- because of performance. that because yeah, whatever you got to tell yourself steve yeah. to get up in the morning and so to be able to shave look in the mirror because of that to, to make it a more entertaining episode uh, I'll just say that I sacrificed to do that. So I think JP was kind of in a similar situation, right? Well, we all kind of did that, right? Like, because the thing is, the, I think the first two prop bets that we actually had, we all picked the exact same thing. And yeah. then we basically looked at each other and said, well, this is really great radio. And, and so we decided to actually start adjusting on, on different things as we were going along. Uh, with that said, that shouldn't take away from what Emily is doing in first place because that's stellar work. Exactly. Yeah. If you hit 14 of 18, even doing our absolute best, not taking into account that we were picking against each other all at the same time, that is a pretty damn good record. So, yeah. So Emily's in first place right now. The thing in play is Christian Yelich is currently tied uh, for the home run lead. If he were to be overtaken, if Aguilar hits a home run either tonight or on Sunday and Yelich does not, um, she 
wins outright. Um, right now she's tied with uh, William Clairbout, which is B-C-L-A-E-R-B-O-U-T. Uh, so those are your two first place people right now. Okay, so... So they're tied at 14, they're tied but at he 14. could drop. He could drop if Aguilar hits a home run and yells doesn't in the next two days. Okay, so that'll be fun to watch. That'll be the, the thing I guess we get to discuss. And then the winner, like I said, we do have a, a prize pack coming from Carbon 4. We will, yes. So, and, and maybe no. some other stuff as well. We'll see what, what else gets done for other people who uh, finished well on the season. So just to clarify, though, the worst that Emily can do is tie for first, right? She's, she's in she's front. In. She's got first place. Uh, William Clairbout can tie, assuming Aguilar doesn't have more home runs than uh, Yelich this weekend. Nice. So. so I guess going down the list... What were some of the most interesting uh, results of the props that we had? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, home run leader, we had 62% said Travis Shaw. Which wasn't a crazy pick because yeah. Shaw's third on the team and he's, what, like two or three home runs behind Yelich and Aguilar? And if he hadn't been hurt for a decent chunk of the season, I mean, he was playing through an injury. He missed some time on the DL, I think, but he also then you know, was less than 100% effective. If that hadn't been the case, maybe we're looking at him as the the home run leader. So well, and it was a, it was a wrist injury too, right? Like it wasn't an injury that doesn't impact the way you know somebody's able to hit for power. He had a um, very low power output in the middle of the season. There, he dipped for a while because he started strong, finishing strong, obviously, but he had a dip for a, um, over a month there. Yeah, I think the biggest thing for me, and this is kind of across the board, whether it's the prop bet about Brinson versus Yelich. I, I did not see this kind of power binge coming from Yelich whatsoever. No, this has been impressive power from Yelich. And I mean, September has been, was it August and September? August. It's been everything since the second half started. He basically, he came out of the, the gate in the second half, hitting like an incredible amount of power. You know, it's funny. At, at the break, I was kind of like, oh, yeah, he's an all-star. He's having a good season. I was actually surprised there was when a- he was an all-star. I was like, oh. Hmm. I guess he's having a good, he's fine, but I was not, yeah, <laughs> what he ended up doing in the second half is... The, the second half, like, made his all-star appearance look even better. Right. And clearly, you know, now we're looking at a guy who's a likely MVP. I, the narrative's behind Yelich at this point. Oh, he is, I think, basically, everybody's kind of conceded it to him almost. The Brewers, even though the Brewers are in the playoffs, the Brewers were not as likely as the Cubs to get into the playoffs. Yelich's numbers are better than Baez, who seemed to be the guy who was leading the the MVP race before that. The only way he doesn't win, he will be the top finishing position player. The only way he doesn't win is if there is more support for Jacob deGrom for the MVP than I think there's going to be. No Which, chance. Yeah, it seems like everybody's going to throw their hat into the ring in DeGrom's the MVP, even though he doesn't have the wins and that kind of stuff. But I don't give him the Cy Young, you mean? Or Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sorry. He'll get the Cy Young because of that. Right. I don't think he gets both. It feels like if you're going to win both the Cy Young and MVP, you have to have those stats you don't have control over as well, which well, means you have to have the wins and the postseason appearance. And I'm not saying that's, I'm not saying that's right. The second and, part's the bigger part there, Steve. And you have to be in the postseason. And, you know, we talked about it last week that, you know, JP doesn't think that pitchers and position players should even be uh, put against each other in postseason awards. 
So, I mean, it's... Well, I was going to say, just to kind of go full circle, since we've been talking about how good Yelich has been in the second half, I mean, this is obviously coming into Saturday night, so it's not all all completely, you know, settled. But in the second half, Christian Yelich has hit 360, 440, 753 with an 1193 OPS. 753. I mean, that's just... that's His ISO is almost 400. It's 393, and his, batting, his BABIP is almost identical to what it was in the first half. Well, I mean, I don't want to go to... I, that's like approaching Barry Bonds 2001-2004 territory in terms of just well, the slugging just the slugging but the difference is Yelich is doing it because dude can hit triples he's got wheels he does but does, that does he hit triples he hit, is that a thing he hits triples the requisite triples when you don't when, get a cycle yeah you don't you don't hit triples. multiple cycles without triples <laughs> right. so i mean he has but you know you're laughing at it but Triples are going to boost that slugging percentage. Most guys don't hit them. Yeah, it's not a home run, but you're still getting three bases you out of it. You get that extra base out of it. You do. Yeah. So that makes a big difference. So, you know, it, well, it's funny how his speed as a player has has played into his slugging. He's such a good base runner. Mm-hmm. He is such a good base runner. It's really, it's not flashy. You don't think of him. If you <laughs> if you were to ask people who are the best base runners of the Brewers, you would probably get a few guys before you get to Yelich. He is clearly the best base runner on the team. He's just it's not flashy. Well, when when you're 6-4, you're running fast without people realizing how fast you're going. Right. And he so, just won all of his like the technical aspects. I think we talked about it last week like mm-hmm. the way he can cut like third on going home from second to home. Like the way he cuts third, it's just no wasted movement. None. So, so Barry Bonds in, in 2001. <laughs> no. Oh, God. Not 2001. He had 73. I was going to say, it is funny to bring on. this up when Ryan decided to go Barry Bonds Man. because that's dumb. I said 2001 to 2004. Fine. I'll say 2002 then. By the when way, we, did I ever tell you my parents were at the, uh, the Rockies game when he hit three in 2001? Yeah, that was when they were in Colorado right before September 11th. Yeah, there was other stuff that happened that, that week as well. His, but, yeah, his parents were stuck in Colorado because of September 11th. Yeah. And they're they're in a ravine. They didn't even see it happen. So, um, anyways, they're 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 at that game when he hit three, which all of a sudden that put him on pace to go like beat McGuire. So that was pretty cool. But anyways, yeah, JP, say I, I won't say two thousand one because Ryan got upset about it. So two thousand two, <laughs> hit three seventy. 592, 7.99. No, I was saying just the slugging. I said just the slugging. Right. 7.92, and he was, Yelich was 30 points off that or something? A half In half a season. Right, that's what I said. In There's, half a season. Yeah, I know. I know. So basically, Yelich is Barry Bonds with better base running, is what we've come up with today. <laughs> yeah, I, think. Is, I think he's a better fielder at that point, too. I feel like as well, this so. has just now turned into our group chat. <laughs> okay. A, so if we could go through. Go ahead, there's JP. Also, there's also a point to be made, too, to say that Barry Bonds did all that with everybody pitching around him all the time. Right? Sure. Like, I mean, Yelich did just get five walks in a game. So, Yes, because Christian Yelich got the Barry Bonds treatment for two games. It makes his second half completely comparable to what Barry Bonds did all That's the time. That's exactly what I'm saying. Let us you have, have this. Yes, you let have, us have this. You have, you have <laughs> confirmed what I said. Okay. Uh, Andy, what are some other interesting ones we've had so far? Uh, yeah, I'll go through them here quickly. Players with over four uh, wins over replacement. We 79% correctly said we would have over one and a half. So that's good. Uh, we did the Lewis Brinson home runs versus Yelich. Uh, and how Yelich, many are there actually? How many? 
Yeah, which which war were we using for uh, that? Fangraphs. We had two with Kane and Yelich. It's Kane and Yelich, and Shaw isn't quite there. He was at the last time I checked. He was like mid threes, I think. And Aguilar probably around three. Aguilar fell off. So he did fall off. Uh, yeah, Lewis Brinson home runs versus Yelich. We were about 50-50 split on that. And I think I'm the only one that had that right, though. Yelich I think you guys him. both were. I Well, I think, again, I think there's a little bit of nobody thought Yelich would have the power binge that he's had. And then also, I think we all had enough faith in Lewis Brinson as an everyday major league player. That I didn't. I didn't think he was going to get a full season's worth, though he would have had it not been for the injuries, so I guess. Though that gets computed in, too, because he has had injury issues. Anyways, it, I think there was some faith. JP, back me up here if you also agreed that Brinson, you know, could be a major league player. Because I'm pretty sure JP and I had the same answer on this. Uh, Brinson could be a major league player and just his raw power was going to play. Yeah, absolutely. I thought it was one of those situations in which even if he hit, I think I even might have said that he could hit 210, 220 and he'd still be able to hit for enough raw power be, because his defense was going to play. But of course, we didn't foresee a situation in which he missed what like two months mm -hmm. being injured well i also thought yelich was, was going to have a power binge i didn't think it was going to be like this not like this obviously but i thought he was going to tick up out of marlon's park so i'm not i'm not sure it like qualifies as a power binge to say that you thought he was gonna hit like 20 <laughs> i mean i thought he was going to be mid to high 20s i don't I'm know just, i don't know what I'm, i said at the time but just being a dick. It's fine. <laughs> so anyways, okay, next one. Uh, sack bunts by position players. We only had five all year, which is lower than they've ever really done in franchise history. And I remember sure. you pointed that one out to us. And we all took the under on it. We were all like down. Yeah. No, no, I took the over. Yeah, 63% took the under. Whoops. So, sorry, guys. Uh, I took the over because you both took the, took the under. There you go. There you go. Uh, Braun first base starts. We had the over under at 23 and a half. He went under that. Thank yeah. You. What did he make? Do you... um, I think it was 12. Yeah. Like and that. again, Once that all Aguilar got, got good. They... Aguilar got hot and that totally threw. Th Nobody expected that first half performance from Aguilar. No, I mean, yeah. Aguilar was once again, almost left off this team. He was one of the last guys mm -hmm. to make the team out of camp and it just worked. You know, he got hot. He, there's another alternate universe where he was bad enough or something weird happened in April where he never was even on this team yeah. for most of the year. He was that close to being off the roster. Yeah, he had no votes for most home runs this year, which is pretty tough. I thought someone picked Aguilar. Uh, no, someone picked Yelich, which is why if Aguilar wins, it doesn't Oh, I thought, I thought, okay. Yeah. I thought you did say one person picked Aguilar, which was an odd One person had Yelich. Okay. Um, lowest ERA. Nobody got this right. We did minimum 15 starts. The winner is Wade Miley. Uh, <laughs> nobody picked that. 45% uh, said Chase Anderson, 27% Zach Davies, and then it kind of went from there. And Wade Miley is your likely uh, game one division uh, series starter. Yeah, quite possibly. Yeah. So all those questions, would you, really want, would you really want Wade Miley to start game one of your uh, playoff series could be coming true. So do you guys want to be sad now? We did a Jimmy Nelson start prop, and oh, the yeah. over-under was 10.5. I know I picked the under <laughs> on this. Yeah, I, I think I took, I took the over because I'm a hopeless, hopelessly optimistic fool. Yeah, I was a sad bastard on Jimmy Nelson all season, or coming into the season. You so. weren't the saddest bastard, though. You, there are sadder bastards than you about Jimmy Nelson. Sure. So, But I, I didn't have much faith with that injury. And him him coming back. So I didn't think he'd hit the rough patch he had. 
I thought he would have at least been at a point where he'd be close to coming back. Well, I, I still maintain that actually the Jimmy Nelson thing is not that I, I guess, whoa, I guarantee that he had a shot to come back and they would have pushed him if they needed him. And I think that they got in a situation in which they felt that the bullpen was carrying it. They had enough starting pitching options with, you know, Peralta coming up and kind of being a guy that they could rely upon. They got Gio Gonzalez later in the year as well that they thought, and Wade Miley ended up being somebody that they could rely upon that they didn't foresee that. I think they just were like, we don't need him and we're going to make sure that he is completely healthy and we're going to take it really slow. And he's going to be in next spring kind of raring to go for the 2019 season. Now that you've given the Gio Gonzalez shout out, does he make a postseason start? You know, could, it would be like a three inning thing, like any of them. I feel yeah, like. it's, you know, a Gio Gonzalez start almost seems like a bullpen game. I mean, yeah, unless I, he's pitching well and the team's doing well, and you just let it go. But yes, I understand what you're saying. I, you know, I think with Gio, there's always the idea that like once he hits that next time through the order, that's where it could be dangerous. So that's why I, even if he's going well, Gio Gonzalez doesn't probably pitch more than like four innings in the postseason. Could you see more than that, JP? No, I think, Gio, you would see pretty much what Steve would said, right? Like, it's three, four innings, and if he continues to not let up base runners, then maybe you just let it go as long as it can. So maybe, yeah, if he's pitching brilliantly, he could go five or six innings. But basically, I think three, four innings, as soon as he gives up a base runner or two, he's out. That seems to make sense. So we had – this is a good prop by myself. I like to pat myself on the back here. Uh, <laughs> it's, it's always good to, to, yeah, give yourself some credit. This is not yeah, like your louder milk yeah, right. uh, over under half a sack last <laughs> yeah, year that was done in the first quarter. There are some really bad props, but this one was good. Uh, number of starters used, the over under was 11 and a half. Uh, we're at 11 right now, so it won't affect two wins. But, you know, if they use a bullpen a surprise starter on Sunday, it would. I was going to say, it could be somebody different on Sunday. Wait, okay. Does game 163 count for this? Sure, why not? So yeah. they could throw up a bullpen game against the Cubs in game 163. But the bull, I mean, they would probably start Jennings, right? Against like the Cubs lefties or something like well, that. Well, uh, what's his name? The other lefty they traded for. Yeah, Cedeno. Cedeno. Yeah. They could do that. Yeah, more likely Jennings. Have a Who leads off for the Cubs? Well, Murphy. I mean, they have Murphy. Yeah. Zoe, oh, yeah, you Rizzo. would. Like they could, I think that's what they would do, actually. We were talking about that earlier, but is start a lefty and try to go through that thing and I'm then bring Jennings in Peralta to, to face the radius. Yeah. Well, Jennings that. wouldn't do it. It would have to be Sedania. Because it's different starters, correct? Oh, for the prop. Yeah. For the prop. Oh, because yeah. Jennings did Jennings start a game. Jennings did start a game. So oh. Jennings can't be gotcha. that other starter. It would have to be Sedania. Okay. Um, here's one. Most More saves. Would, basically, would, who would lead the team in saves? 95% of people said Corey Knable. Um, that one's still in play as well. Uh, it doesn't affect the winner because 95% went with it. Is it still in play? It is, yeah. Jeffress has 14 saves. Knabel has 16 saves. Oh, so, I mean, theoretically, Jeffress could if catch him. But he would but need Knabel, to pitch three days in a row. He'd pitch that, yeah. So he'd have to pitch today and tomorrow. Jeffress so isn't going to catch him. I don't think he's going to catch him. Right. Well, I guess Monday would count for this as well. Monday is part it of would. the regular Jeff- season. Jeremy Jeffress is not going to get a save on Saturday, Sunday, Monday. He would need two saves out of those three days. Yeah. But even then, Corey Knable would still be a correct answer to the question. Correct. Yep. Because he tied, so he still was the leader. So for everybody to get that wrong and to drop out the 95% of people or whatever, you would have to have Jeffers get all three saves, which that's not going to happen. Like I said, that's not going to happen. Yeah. All right. Um, 
two season props here. Most wins or wins was set at 84 and a half. We had 81% of people took the over on that. Kudos to everybody. Which JP and I, I think both took the under, right? I believe that I did. Yes. Sad bastards. (laughs) Sad bastards. 83 wins. So I said under. And I said 85 or 86, so I said over. <laughs> but hold on. Nobody thought that both Lorenzo Kane and Kristen Yelich, who we both we all agreed were great pickups, would be potential MVP candidates. The two best position players in the NL by yeah. war. Yeah. No nobody really thought that was gonna happen. Like, oh, they they made a good acquisition and a good signing. We approve of these, but nobody thought like, yeah, these guys are gonna be Ridiculous. I still had the over. You still had the under. I win. You lose. Sure. What I about still, you took the over and no on playoffs, if I believe? Uh, yeah. I did take the. Yeah, I tried to thread the needle. That stupid, stupid needle. So now that you just made fun of Steve, now you just made yourself yeah. sound a little bit dumber. Well, <laughs> that's, I, that's, that's why we have Ryan on that's the podcast. What, that's what I'm here for, JP. That's, you're welcome. I, I, I still think one of the most interesting things about the season is – the pitching was the pitching overall, even with a starting rotation that was mediocre to average, was good, right? I mean, we, they did so many things to make up for the fact to think about run prevention as a total construct, right? Like to to think about all of the different ways that you can uh minimize or you can lessen the number of runs that you're giving up as a pitching staff and everybody looked at it and said we need more starting pitching that's the way to do it and the brewers went out and said we're going to upgrade our outfield defense because we know that our starting pitching gives up a lot of fly balls and they do they've actually given up uh, some of the most fly balls in um in all of uh major leagues and their outfield defense has been uh in terms of like defensive runs saved has actually been the best in baseball um and then they went out and they addressed the bullpen and so they were able to go out and actually make sure that they could reduce the number of runs given up in all every single way except for the one way that everybody wanted and it was getting a starting pitcher to your point i mean they're a better run prevention team than a run scoring team and i think that is somewhat surprising I, I enjoy Lorenzo Cain's Murtaugh defense, where every ball he tracks down, it looks like he gives a look like, I'm getting too old for this shit. <laughs> he does. every His facial expressions, you were correct. We were, we were noticing this when we were at the game the other day, and it was very much that. He I has, noticed that, yeah, at the beginning of the year. I'm like, is he hurt? Because he just like looks miserable after every time he runs to first, and I thought I was constantly worried throughout April that he was hurt. And no, that's just how he, how he does it. Well, the other thing he does in the outfield <laughs> that is so funny is he deeks everybody, and he deeks, especially on the road, he'll deke the fans and be like, he'll, he'll run it out at first like it's a home run. Like he'll do, kind of do that jog back, and then all of a sudden he'll be like, nope, I'm right under it. I'm there to catch it. And he he totally dekes out the fans and like I think that's the game is so easy for him he just enjoys like fucking with other pe- teams fans for just his own enjoyment yeah so it's been fun to watch all season all right uh, a very nice percentage of people pick the Bruce to go to the playoffs 69 percent uh, they are correct it's <laughs> uh, a very nice percent 90 percent of people or I'm sorry, 88% of people did not think that Hodger Court would block, unblock Steve in 98% or 88% of people are correct. That's going to be correct so far. <laughs> that, that's, it, like, that's that's Ryan's like biggest shame. Of yeah, this. yeah. 
He he made the big deal of it when somebody tweeted at Harder Court like the first day after the prop bets came out. You, you made a big deal about it, and then nothing happened after that. Like you completely gave up on it. Yeah. Ryan made zero effort. Mm-hmm. Um, what else do we have here? Will a pitcher hit a home run? We were split almost 50-50 on this. There's two home runs. I believe Woodruff and Suter both hit a home run. Well, Woodruff hit two. Woodruff hit two. How did I miss that? Okay. Well, I picked, and I actually predicted that it would be a yes, and it would be Woodruff. And Suter ruined it by being <laughs> by hitting one before Woodruff. Yeah. I would have uh, gotten two points for that. I'm pretty sure that's how it works. Yeah, that's how it works. Longest home run. If you, you would, if you would have entered. <laughs> oh, this could still change. Right? This, this one could still change. Um, do you guys know who had the longest home run this year without looking it up? Thames had a huge bomb. That would be my guess. He did. Travis Shaw actually leads 452 feet. He hit one at Coors in May. So he's. Oh, is that know, longer? That was long. longer than his one in Pittsburgh where he hit it out into the yeah. freaking Allegheny? Yeah. Really? Hmm. Well, how long was Bronze uh, the other night that he. the. Was it the first one he hit in St. The Lewis? one into Big Mac land? Yeah. Yeah, I think he, you know, anytime, I'm not a home yeah, he, run person, but I if know. you pull it, you know, you usually have to hit it to center. You're not you're a home run person. Yeah. <laughs> Give you the bunts. Yeah. That's what you want to see. Exactly. Give me the bunts. Uh, will Nick Franklin get an at-bat this year? <laughs> this, was, <laughs> this was the most amazing. He, did he have just one? He had the one, one at-bat. He ran it out. He got injured. He got put on the 60-day DL, and that was it. That was it. Rest in peace, he's, Nick Franklin. That one. He's a, <laughs> Nick Moonlight Graham. <laughs> Seriously. <laughs> that one was incredible when that played out. Because I remember that happened. You were like, oh, my God, there's the one. There's the prop bet. And then he was done. <laughs> he, was dead. he had two at-bats this year. So that oh, must have been on two? that second was, one. <laughs> it was just – it was all in the one game. Next time he gets up, he needs to look at the pitcher and wink. <laughs> Nick, Nick Franklin got that big league paycheck. Though. Yeah, Good for yeah you get put on the 60-day the DL when you're on the major league roster and you're cashing uh, major league checks. Major oh, yeah, league your major league minimum. Yep, and getting your eligibility for uh, the pension. Yeah. That's what Alex Reyes did. <laughs> Remember that? Alex Reyes decided not to tell anyone that his shoulder was hurt so he could get called up and then pitched one. Oh, one yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, I remember Yeah, you that. pulled yeah. that this year. Uh, Matt Elber's save. He had one exactly. 70% of people correctly guessed that. And that's when he was going good. Yeah. Like, it looked for a moment like people forget his first two months were really good. Oh, he was great. And until his shoulder went, until he had that shoulder injury, Matt Elber's was fantastic. Yep. And then he just went to hell. So, I mean, it was batting practice at that point. But up to that point, you know, Knable went down. Um, it wasn't surprising that Elbers was getting saves or would get save opportunities. No, no, not in the, the rotation they were running. No, where you were, you know. Now, they were running more of a fluid rotation as far as who was ending, you know, finishing games at that time. But it made sense that Elbers would be in the rotation at that point. Yeah, yep. they had eight guys with saves this year, which is just kind of a testament to how they run their bullpen. Yeah. To the un. Uh, the un oh man i'm tapping out <laughs> uh last prop we had was uh non-cub games with forty thousand plus in attendance uh the over under was a, a great great number that i picked there a 14 and a half uh i believe they went over 40 last night i didn't see what the Probably. attendance was. they had to have yeah. gone over 40 last so night. that was the 11th game so the under wins here so 
18% of people had under. So, yeah, they're at 11 non-Cub games with 40,000. I am a little surprised that attendance didn't go over 3 million this year. Yet? Or it's I, not no, 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 I don't think it's going to. I think they had already estimated it was going to be around 2.8. Hmm. Okay. I'm a little surprised. Uh, are you are you saddened? Are you shamed? Do you feel shame in your heart for that? No, just surprised. Okay. J- I mean, JP, do you think there was something that contributed to that? I mean, I like I said, I was just a little surprised. I figured a team that people were excited about um, going into the season. And 2.8 is not an insignificant number of people by any means that no, still no. ranks really well especially in you know the smallest market in baseball well, and especially in a park that has that capacity where it basically caps out at about 45 yeah. you can't go higher than that so you can't get those days where you're going like the dodgers can go 60 on a day sure because the stadium fits that many so they I can't mean, limits what they can do is it a situation in which cubs fans got really mad that the brewers were playing well so they just stopped showing up yeah <laughs> I think that's that is the hypothesis I want to run with. Yeah, I you know I thought about this a little bit. I do think just like sporting attendance overall is down. Like the Badgers are struggling to sell out their stadium, and they're getting rid of some of the end zone seats for premium seats. So I just you know I think that's kind of going to be the norm here going forward. Yeah, I think I was going to say I think it's also and maybe people don't want to hear about this too much, but. I mean, wages aren't going up either, right? And ticket ticket prices keep going up. And it's a situation in which people are are struggling to be able to justify the price to be able to go, especially when they can watch it on TV at home. So it's it's about disposable income and it's about the ability to go out to the game when you have other options to be able to watch it on your phone, to be able to uh, do a lot of things. I don't know if the TV times changed all that much this year. Right. I mean, do they still have a lot of six o'clock games? They did, yeah. I it's like did. the first half. Uh, they do more of those six. They do the start at six forty. Six forty starts. Yeah. So they get on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, when school's still in session in the spring, at, they, they they start did, those games. Yeah, it's pretty and much they did the a first little half. bit at the very end. They of brought the it season. back right at the end of the season. And they stopped as soon as school let out. They mm-hmm. stopped doing it in June-ish. Yeah. But they did bring it back right at the end of the season. There were some 640 starts again. There were a few, yeah. Yeah, just a few. So, um, But still, nothing to sneeze at as far as uh, attendance is no, concerned. So. so, Yeah, it was good to see. Um, obviously, we're excited to see what happens in the postseason because that's, uh, like I said, we're going to have – this will come out on an off day probably unless we have that play-in game. I mean, that's well, looking more and more likely now. Well, again, if we knew if we knew what happened on Saturday night, I think we'd be able to say it's more and more likely. Yeah, that's the only thing that we're dealing. I mean, the with Cubs at have the opened that door wide open now by losing on Saturday, so mm-hmm. it really does. And I mean, to lose two one, I mean, that's that's a heartbreaker. Where I think if you're you're a Cubs fan, you're thinking, you know, God damn it, pull through on this <laughs> one and just put it away. And both teams had some chances. And, and I think that's cash. that's been that's been dogging the Cubs all month is that they hadn't been able to just put everything away they they left the door open for the brewers they you know lost two of three and you know two consecutive series to the brewers that that basically pulled the brewers back into that division race well the cubs offense has been hampered by the fact that they do have the lineup depth but what they don't have are the lineup anchors that are absolutely putting up monster numbers and what's weird is coming into the season you would have thought that would be the brewers problem not the cubs problem and it's turned out to be the opposite. The Brewers have had the lineup anchors. They had basically a guy hitting at MVP levels in the first half in Aguilar, and then Yelich picked it up in the second half as the lineup anchor 
to do that. And the Cubs, you know, Chris Bryant's been dealing with a shoulder injury all year. Rizzo had a horrific start and had some hot stretches, but really has never gotten fully going again. So the guys, the well, Cubs, even Baez has been carried a lot by power. Yeah, Baez is mostly MVP power. candidate has a three twenty six on base percentage. Exactly. That's why when they're like fine. Baez is MVP, <laughs> I'm like, shut up. I'm like three twenty, you know, on base. Get but he's exciting here. and magic. Yeah. He is magic. Yeah. Exactly. So, um, yeah, it'll be fun to see. Uh, I guess JP, what do you want to see for the, the the postseason here? I I would like to see uh, game one sixty three, and I would like to not see a play in game in terms of the wild card because I have office hours on Tuesday night. <laughs> Those would be very productive office hours. They got a test coming up, so there's going to be a lot of people coming in. I probably have to to host a pretty big uh, review session for everybody. Can you so. can you just like turn them around so you can see it on your computer monitor while you're talking to them? I think that probably would not go all that well. But tell them if they don't complain about it, they'll get a like half a grade bump. <laughs> you you all get A's. I'm watching the game. <laughs> Screw it. I'm out. <laughs> if you show up for the review session, hey, you're getting an A. You leave. <laughs> That's ethical. It's completely ethical. I don't think anybody would complain about that. So, like, sounds like what UNC would do. <laughs> you should not. You should not include that. Shots fired. <laughs> oh no, no, that's staying in. So, any other comments before we wrap this up? I I would like to see the Brewers win games. That is what I'm rooting for. Well, you asked, so I I would like to see the Brewers win. I would like to see Braun give another speech. So that includes the Brewers winning. That's what I want. <laughs> I'm hoping. I actually, I will amend. I, though I do not want the the wild card game for aforementioned reasons. I want a Ryan Braun walk off in one in game 162 to uh, nail it down. I want it in 163. If I'm getting a Ryan Braun walk off, well, it's, it's going to be at Wrigley. It can't be a walk off. Damn. I want to see the Cubs lose two, the Brewers win two, so that way Ryan Braun can then reopen the graffito for a party on Sunday night. No, so Braun hits a walk-off, waiting in the dugout, Aaron Rodgers. They embrace, <laughs> oh, no. they embrace at home plate. That, the, that's, that's the goal. Yeah. That, that Pink Floyd reunion at Live 8 was more likely, I think, than Ryan Braun and Aaron Rodgers at this point. Wow. So anyways, that's going to do it for this week's show. Uh, you can join our Patreon by visiting patreon.com slash MKE tailgate patrons at the ball and glove level will receive the minor league extra podcast. As always follow our Twitter account uh, at MKE tailgate. You can also submit questions to milwaukees.tailgate at gmail.com or through our Facebook page for Milwaukee's tailgate baseball podcast. Don't forget to subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, Stitcher, and in the Google Play Store. You can also leave reviews and help people find the podcast. So thanks for listening, and look for us again next week on Milwaukee's Tailgate.